Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas. This is Veterinary Vitals, a podcast that focuses on current news in the Texas veterinary profession. I'm your host, Audrea Wood. In today's episode, I speak with Brittany Sharkey, the new executive director for the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners, about the organization's challenges and her vision for the future. Hi, so I'm Brittany Sharkey. I'm the new executive director of the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. I've been in this role for about two months now. I had previously served as general counsel from September of 2019 to October of last year, and then left the agency to go work on a political campaign, uh, but then came back when the opening was posted, and it's been a whirlwind ever since. Uh, But before that, I spent about three years working in the Texas legislature, and uh, before that, I was actually an attorney in private practice here in Austin. So done a little bit of everything and excited to bring all of that to the agency. Absolutely. So staffing has been an issue with the board, as it has been for many other state agencies. Can you tell me a little bit about what the TBVME has requested from the legislature in terms of resources this session? Sure. So what I'm really excited about is I got to join the agency, I think, at a great time where we were finishing up our legislative appropriations request for this biennium. So I got to have a bit of an input and say in what we put forward And for the first time, I think the agency is really asking for everything that we need. You know, I think we've had a tendency to maybe be a little bit shy about asking for these things in the past. And so now we're really putting it out there and at least making a record with the legislature of here's what we think we need to run this agency as successfully and fully as possible. So what you're seeing across all state agencies, though, is at least a 10 to 15 percent cost of living increase. Uh, to make sure that we're able to maintain and keep our employees. We've got a really great staff at the agency, a core group that's been here for a number of years. They know the ins and outs of the processes and we would be remiss to lose them. So we're definitely doing what we can to make sure we're keeping them. So that's one of our big asks is just an across the board cost of living increase to be able to afford living in Austin. It is not a cheap city to be in and this is where we are. So we've got to make sure that our folks can afford to still live here and be here. And something else that I'm really excited about that we're asking for for the first time is uh, funding for training programs. You know, a lot of our training is mostly done in-house by other staff members. And so we're really looking to hopefully help our staff be able to go outside, get additional training, and really build and grow in their careers. I That's something that's really important to me as an executive director is you know, working for the state, we may not be able to offer you the best pay or, you know, certain other perks that the private sector can, but I want to make sure that everyone who's working for the vet board can grow and learn what they need to do for whatever comes next in their career. So we've actually asked for funding for that this time around. So that's very exciting. And then in addition, we've also asked for a number of additional uh, full-time employees or FTEs, as you'll see kind of bandied about when we're talking about the legislature. And so we've asked for additional funding for inspectors and investigators to really help carry out our mission of inspection and investigation. 
Uh, we've asked for an additional attorney position, and we've asked for a staff veterinarian to help us with medical reviews. So obviously, I don't think we're going to get all of that, but at least have it on the record that this is what we think we need to fully uh, and appropriately run the agency. Absolutely. And if those things did come to pass, how would that impact veterinarians? So I think you're going to see much more responsive times in terms of when a complaint is filed against a veterinarian. You know, we're very cognizant of how long complaints take to resolve. Um, Our statute requires us, unlike other agencies, to fully investigate every single complaint that comes in. So most agencies you see, they have kind of a shutoff valve where if a complaint comes in that's just completely outside of their jurisdiction, whether it be too old or dealing with costs or, you know, inability to get appointments or things like that, that, you know, customer service issues that we have no jurisdiction over, the agency can just dismiss it. The vet board has an interesting clause in their statute that actually requires us to fully investigate every complaint, regardless of if it's patently on its face, non-jurisdictional. And so that increases our complaint time significantly. But if we increase the amount of investigators and inspectors we have, we can help cut that down. Uh, It also means that we can, I think, better and more thoroughly inspect all of our licensees. Uh, According to the Sunset Advisory Commission, their best practice is that every licensee should be inspected once every eight years. But right now, that currently comes out to about, we'd have to hit 1,600 folks a year. And we have five people across the state to do all of that. Those same five people are also then responsible for investigating all 400 complaints that come in. So it's just, we're not, we would be able, I think, to much better and more efficiently and more equally inspect all of our licensees and make sure that there aren't issues that we're missing um, and move our focus away from, I think, some the larger population centers. I see. So TBVME is going through a limited scope sunset review this session. Can you tell our members a little bit more about that and what it means? Sure. So we were under our original sunset review in 2017. So all regulatory state agencies come up for sunset review typically every 12 years. So 2017 was our 12-year review. Uh, That review found significant and multiple issues within the agency. And so you saw a complete restructuring of the agency executive staff. Uh, Three board members resigned and were replaced. And there were also additional new uh, statutory restrictions placed on TBVME, like the one where we have to investigate all complaints. That actually came out of the 2017 Sunset Review And so given the state of the agency, they only renewed the agency for four years and gave us a limited scope review during the 2021 legislative session. So during that re-review, they found that we still didn't have our database up and functional and our data management system was not where it needed to be. And so we were then given an extra biennium to get caught up and be under an additional limited scope review for this legislative cycle. Uh, So that's what we're in the process of doing right now. Uh, I, it's a it's a challenge, and the agency had really tried to implement a database and data management system without additional appropriations over the last few years, and that just hasn't worked. Um, you know, I think the intent was good, but the execution was unfortunately wasn't. And you know, it's a you get what you pay for kind of a situation. And so this time around, that is actually our number one request in our legislative appropriations request is for funding for a new database uh, system. And that'll be great because that'll be more reliable information for licensees, for the public who use our website, 
So a lot of those issues uh, will hopefully be handled and addressed by this new database system. The only unfortunate thing is we don't actually get those appropriations if we're awarded them until September 1st of next year. So we're still a ways out from being able to implement that new database and data management system, but we're optimistic that it seems like there's a lot of focus this session on um, infrastructure upgrades to our cybersecurity and IT systems. There's a lot of antiquated systems across the state, ours being one of them. So hopefully we're very optimistic that we're going to be included in those appropriations. So interesting to see this play out across multiple state agencies of all different you know, sizes and missions. And it's an issue that the legislature, I think, has heard about sort of over and over again. And for some reason, this is a real challenge to find folks that can work within the governmental contracting space that can meet all of those various requirements and still deliver a quality product for, I think, the amount of money we're paying them. Uh, you know, the attorney general's office just had a very difficult rollout with the program spent, you know, several millions of dollars on it. And they're, I think, ultimately going to have to scrap that and move on to something else. Uh, TDLR just had a similar issue where they, you know, had a $2 million appropriation for a unified licensing database system for all of their member agencies, and that's still nowhere near where it needs to be. And so for some reason, this seems, especially in the government space, to be a particular challenge. And so we are we are not unique as an agency facing that challenge. Um, but I think this is the first time that we have a real plan in place for how to adequately address that challenge. So not the most interesting or exciting appropriation, but definitely something that's really needed and I think will ultimately really improve the experience of both veterinarians and the public when interacting with the board. One issue that affects our members is the unlicensed practice of veterinary medicine by non-veterinarians. What is the board doing to combat that? Can you talk about any recent cases being addressed by law enforcement? Sure. So, you know, it's it's a challenge of resources and the agency doesn't have a ton of statutory authority over unlicensed individuals and it's hard to find and track them down because when you are a licensee of ours, you want to keep your professional license up and running. And so that that is the jurisdictional hook we have generally over our licensees when something goes awry. But for, you know, Joe Q Public, who isn't a licensee, we don't have that same hook. And, you know, we can send them a letter and say, hey, we find you $5,000 and they can just ignore us. And so that's been a real challenge of figuring out how to make sure and engage those people to make sure that we're actually getting them and actually getting some kind of result out of it. Because it is frustrating to the veterinarians. It's frustrating to us because we believe that it poses one of the greatest dangers to the public. You know, there's people out there falsely advertising as veterinarians or posing as veterinarians and providing substandard care and, you know, hurting or killing animals. That's a real danger to the public that we need to do what we can. So something that we're really looking into is utilizing uh, the attorney general's office. So we've kind of been in contact with them and we figured out that if there is an administrative penalty imposed on an unlicensed person of greater than $2,500, the attorney general will actually come in to collect that because that's an issue that we've had in the past where, you know, we run the, a case through our process, we get a complaint, unlicensed person practicing, we issue them a cease and desist order with a monetary penalty. We can even take that to the state office of administrative hearings. They can confirm our judgment if the person doesn't show up, which they typically won't because they're not a licensee, they don't care. 
And then it would just kind of sit there. We would just have this judgment and there was no way or no teeth to really make that stick. And so now if we can engage with the attorney general's office, actually make them go after some of these folks and start charging them these higher dollar amounts, we can actually, I think, start showing that we're serious about that process. Um, So I'm really excited for the first time we have a fully staffed legal department within TBVME. So we have our general counsel, a staff attorney and a legal assistant now. And so they're actually, they've got the bandwidth to really start taking on some of these cases and seeing them through that full process, which is unfortunately not a quick process, but we can at least start making some headway and delivering some real results on some of these more serious practice without a license cases. And it's tough too, because I understand, you know, it is a class A misdemeanor, the practice without a veterinary medicine without a license. But for a lot of law enforcement agencies, you know, they are also short-staffed and under-resourced. And so, you know, we can work up this case and present it to them. And they're like, great, I've got, you know, robberies and murders and other things to solve. This is fairly low priority for us. And so the few times that we've, you know, tried to engage with law enforcement, it's not always successful. And I understand that. So if we can find our own administrative law way to handle it, I think that's going to be hopefully the most fruitful. So... What additional resources or legislative changes would aid the board in fighting unlicensed practice? So I think back to, I believe it was the 2019 legislative session, and the board actually had a bill uh, that would have given our investigators the potential to be classified as peace officers so that they could make arrests when they encountered criminal activity. Uh, That bill, strangely enough, made its way through both the Senate and House into the governor's desk, and then it was ultimately vetoed by the governor. So that, I think, was everyone's kind of best idea for how to help combat that, where it's, we can do this in-house, we can, you know, make these arrests, make some of these criminal actions, and then to see it get vetoed by the governor was definitely disheartening, because we don't have any indication that there would be a different result if that bill was brought today. So, you know, I think... There's always a there's a bit of a tension there where you don't want, I think there's a hesitance to give out additional law enforcement powers. You know, you don't want people running roughshod over people's rights, and I fully understand that. And so it, there's an interesting tension there. So I'm not sure how you solve that problem with administrative law agencies. You know, you don't necessarily want to give them that authority. But if they're there and they have the resources and they've done the investigation, they're the folks best equipped, I think, to make those um, any of those kind of arrests or criminal activities. So, you know, there's a lot of different options. And we're also in an interesting uh, position because we can't actually advocate or lobby for any legislation as a state agency. So I tend to stay out out of it, but I, I recognize the tension, but it is a problem and I would be happy to provide additional information for any legislator that's interested in this topic. Are there standards that the TBVME is held to by statute that other state agencies that regulate professions do not have to do? Sure. So I think the biggest one that we're running into is that requirement to investigate all complaints. Like I said, we can't just sort of off-route anything that comes in that's initially obviously non-jurisdictional. And there are a lot of those cases. You know, we do get a lot of cases that are about, you know, customer service-based complaints, which as an agency, we just don't have jurisdiction over. Or complaints about pricing, which again, we also just don't have jurisdiction over. And you don't want the state board regulating pricing. That That's a bad business model for everyone. 
Um, but so even those comp complaints, our investigators have to go out and they've got to interview the complainant, they've got to interview the respondent and collect and write a report and send it forward. And so that, you know, takes, even at a very cursory level, it still takes time away from their ability to do inspections and investigations. And so that's an interesting thing to me that we have that requirement and seemingly other regulatory agencies don't have that. Um, and it really does, you know, I think draw out our case resolution time because even these easy little cases, they've still got to be fully investigated. They've got to be, you know, dismissed by the board in a public meeting. They only meet quarterly. So you're looking at at least, you know, quarterly board meeting is three months, 90 days, you know, probably at least 30 days to get that case processed and written up. So you're looking at even on a very minimal case, four months. And that's not a short amount of time. And so then if it's, a more involved case, you can only imagine how much further that is if there's a case with some merit and then it's got to go to a medical review process and all these other things. So that's an interesting differential we have from other state agencies that I think uh, happens to our detriment. Can you tell us a little bit about how the board goes about drafting and proposing new rules? And sure. So every agency is a little bit different in terms of the engagement of the various constituent groups and the public. So generally speaking, our rules committee comes at things because somebody has given them a suggestion or raised an issue that a rule is causing some, some issue that they would like to address. So whether that be a board member, member of the public, you know, a licensee, Somebody generally raises the flag on a rule and causes our rules committee then to look into it and examine it and see what needs to be done and changed. And sometimes it comes out of sitting in our informal settlement conferences and we're saying, hey, this rule isn't quite addressing this and we need to maybe fix this. And so that was actually the impetus, is my understanding, for the change in our records keeping rule was that we were sitting in informal settlement conferences and the board said, wait, you know, we need to make sure we need to make this clear and easy easier on our licensees so they can understand exactly what's required. We don't necessarily need all this information that was in the old rule. And so they were trying to streamline it and make it easier to understand without a lawyer. So, um, so really it's, it's a very, I think, organic process that comes out of people rubbing up against a rule and realizing that there's an issue and it needs to be addressed. And so then generally, you know, we, follow the Texas register guidelines and we'll publish the rule for public comment and then take that into account. And depending on the amount and sort of content of the rule, sometimes it's everyone's like, this is great. We love this proceed. Or, you know, sometimes if somebody raises a flag on a play and says, have you considered this? Here's an unintended consequence. Then the board may have, you know, the, they'll look at it and reconsider uh, or maybe potentially redraft the rule and have that discussion. So it really just kind of depends on the rule and then the response we get from that initial posting, how they proceed. But, you know, they're generally very open to having having those conversations and wanting to hear from, from the public, from the licensees. Um, and I think that's one of the benefits, too, of our agency is our rules committee is made up of two veterinarians and one of our public members. And so those veterinarians are never going to impose a rule that they themselves can't live by. And so I think that's always nice to have the regulated population in that process because they're going to say, hey, this this doesn't work for me or I'm worried about, you know, this population of veterinarians not being able to respond appropriately to this rule. So it's a very responsive process where 
we definitely want to hear from folks and definitely welcome that input and involvement because how we view things might be one way, but then when we can hear from, from the licensees, from the public, they might have an entirely different view of things as well. Due to staffing issues, veterinarians often have to wait a long time before a complaint against them is resolved. What is the board doing to speed up this process? And are there any statutory changes that could help the board resolve complaints more quickly? Sure. So we're working on making our website a little bit more uh, easy to understand and navigable. It's not the best. Uh, You know, state agency technology is not the best where it needs to be. So really, the best way is that we're anything we do is going to be published in the Texas Register. So that's the best and easiest way to kind of see what the agency is in the middle of contemplating. Any rules that we're working on posting will be there. So we're working on getting those posted to the website as well. But the Texas Register will also have our meeting agenda so you can know when meetings are upcoming, what's on the agenda for those meetings. So that really is the best way to engage with the agency's comings and goings. Um, And we would just, if you see something posted and you want to comment, we would love to hear about it. We want to know what y'all think. Um, So we generally have to post a rule for 30 days before it can be adopted. So at least 30 days out from any board meeting is when you're going to see those rules being posted. So you've got a month to kind of engage and figure out, let us know what you think. And we definitely welcome that feedback. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brittany. Thank you. That was Brittany Sharkey, the new executive director for the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. A few quick announcements. Join your fellow TVMA members in Austin on Wednesday, February 1st for Veterinarian Legislative Day at the Capitol. Tort liability, sentimental damages, and overregulation are just some of the topics that could be addressed by the legislature this year. So it's important that we have a strong showing on February 1st. Also, on the previous day, January 31st, TVMA will be hosting an advocacy lab for a limited number of participants who are interested in becoming more engaged in organized veterinary medicine. If you're interested in participating, contact Trent Hightower, thightower at tvma.org. If you have any topics you would like covered on this podcast or would like to nominate a guest, please email me at awood at tvma.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a colleague and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A like, a share, a retweet, these are all great ways that you can support TVMA that won't cost you a dime. I'm your host, Audrey Wood. Thanks for listening.